A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. And first, the usual housekeeping. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud or whatever app you listen to the podcast on. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast. Or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what we do, then please do head along to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I got a very interesting email from a young woman called Maeve Nicolon. In it, she told me the story of her autism diagnosis just three years ago. She's 27 now and how it completely changed her life after 24 years of feeling like she just did not fit in. Women and girls with autism are invisible, she told us. We only have to look at the stereotypical depiction of it in pop culture as a white male issue. Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory, Rain Man, the boy from The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. So growing up, Maeve felt different, but she had no reference point. Next week is World Autism Awareness Week, so we invited Maeve in to speak to us about her experience. And hold on to your hats, because this is some woman. Maeve, one of the amazing things about this story is that a woman with autism is considered invisible, basically. Women are considered invisible in lots of ways, but in this case... A woman is invisible. And that actually is is almost unbelievable to us, considering the amount of talk there is about autism. And I watch The Big Bang Theory. I see Sheldon. I'm fascinated by him. He doesn't. He seems to have friends and a lovely apartment and everything. We all remember Rain Man. But yet, I only realised when we when when we read your story that you don't ever hear of a woman with autism. So tell us about you. Sure. Um, I think. It's it's interesting because when you know what to to research, when you know what you're looking for, you'll find actually a great deal has been written about women and autism, but it's still not something that's quite broken into the, the mainstream understanding of the condition as yet. Um, and so if you're not somebody with direct experience of autism, either through yourself or a loved one, you tend to rely on the media representation of it or what pop culture offers up and that tends to be I suppose a, a depiction of a of a man or a, a boy and they tend to be quite intense quite genius like and it's definitely one version of autism and it's a, a valid experience in itself but it's um, it's a very nuanced and wide-ranging condition and I think women have often just been overlooked historically. Um, I suppose the diagnostic criteria has been skewed towards a more um, male presentation of the condition. Yeah. And as a result, women just have flown under the radar consistently through the years. And it's only really in the last decade that there's been more information about how females experience autism and there's been more I suppose, resources available. And a lot of these are actually coming from women themselves, women who 
have discovered for themselves that they are autistic after maybe decades of living a life misunderstood um, even to themselves. So it's it is slowly changing. And um, hopefully, you know, going forward, we will see a better understanding and a better depiction of, of autism Me, as it presents in women. What is also astonishing in your case is that you are 24 yeah. before a diagnosis was reached. Yeah, and that's actually relatively young um, compared to a lot of the women whose accounts I've read about online and in literature. Um, many women are in their 30s and 40s. Oftentimes they're having their own children assessed and that's when things begin to click for them for the first time. They're realising, oh, actually, this has always been my experience too. And that's how they discover for the first time. So um, it's it's not unusual that I would go, you know, through childhood and through adolescence and reach young adulthood before making this discovery. It, it seems to be quite common for women. So Maeve, when you got your diagnosis, you thought back and so many things made sense for the Absolutely. first time. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your childhood and, and, and the confusion around what was going on inside you that didn't appear to apply to anyone else? Absolutely. Um, I think, well, firstly, my childhood was extremely happy. Um, you know, I grew up in a very loving, very secure household. My brothers and I were, you know, from from day one, just given a, a life filled with music and language and storytelling and, you know, our imagination and curiosity and creativity was always encouraged. Um, and that's something that still stands to all of us. Um, and then I suppose it was just within myself that I always had this strong inkling that there was something different or unusual or left of centre in some way. And I remember, I suppose, from being as young as three and having this very strong sense that something was was wrong, something was not right, um, that uh, being a girl was, you know, there had been a terrible mistake made and it absolutely made no sense. And it was just something that I I had to reject outright and quite overtly. So that was, I suppose, the first strike for me. Um, and you felt you weren't a girl. Yeah, <laughs> which I know in uh, nowadays with kind of gender neutral parenting and everything, it's 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 a very different landscape. But um, no, at the time, yeah, absolutely. I felt uh, that some terrible mistake had been made, that this was absolutely not right, um, that the expectations um, socially that were placed upon me being a girl, uh, I just I couldn't meet them. I couldn't live up to them. There was something that I would that would never click with me there. And then I suppose, you know, the the other factors of the the clothes and the toys and the things that I was supposed to be interested in. It was almost a, an allergic reaction. It was just so strong that I rejected it outright and changed my name, now, changed if anybody, everything. If anybody tunes into this this podcast right now, they'll yeah. think we're talking about about um, transgender. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And in fact, your parents were so wonderful that when you wanted to be called the same name as your brother, Owen, yeah. they said, go ahead, we'll yeah. call you Owen. And they basically reared you as a boy. Uh, they were happy to go along with it, absolutely. Um, that might have been because it was easier than challenging it. Um, but no, they've always been very open-minded and very accepting of me, whatever whatever that might look like. Um, and for that time in my life when I had to be a boy, when being a girl was impossible, um, they were very accepting of it and 
as loving as ever and they allowed for it, they indulged it, whatever. To the point where they would tell guests coming to the house that <laughs> to refer to you all as boys. Yeah, it's only kind of when um, when I look back in hindsight that, yeah, I realise that that's not most people's experience of growing up. Um, but for us, it's always, you know, we look back at it as like when you were a boy, when I was a boy. It's, it's just the most normal thing. It was just part of my life. So what was going on then, Maeve? Um, it was, I suppose, just this profound sense that something was different. I couldn't put my finger on it. Maybe gender was the most obvious thing to reach for. Um, it's something that I ultimately came out of and, you know, finding girlhood again and embracing that is something that I did only a few years later. And I never kind of had that crossroads experience again of of wondering, was I one or the other? I, I'm very much set on, on who I am now and I know that. But at the time, um, it just didn't make sense to me. And, and it might have been me reaching for something to help me make sense of what was really happening. I'm not sure, but um, it's it's how it manifested itself at that point anyway. And I think what's interesting as well, since, you know, acquiring a, a vocabulary about and around autism that has helped me to explain myself better than I've ever been able to. Um, I've learned that it's actually not uncommon in the context of autism to have this experience. In fact, it's it's called gender dysphoria and it, it happens quite regularly. And uh, generally speaking, a lot of autistic people are either LGBTQ or identify as gender non-binary, there is a real openness there and a, a fluidity. And maybe that's also part of it, you know, that it makes sense in the realm of autism, even though, you know, to, to anyone else, it sounds a slightly mad story. Well, looking back, you looked back in your school reports, Maeve, which I think was very interesting. There's something very poignant about this. You looking back through the lens of your of your diagnosis so many years later and your school report cards Mm-hmm. told you something very important about what was going on with yourself then. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I actually I, I've revisited them since I find it interesting. Maybe it's um, the fact that I'm now working in education, um, but I've looked back at them since. And the difference between primary and secondary reports, I suppose, is the most significant because it's as though you're looking at two completely different people. Um, in primary school, I always felt very cherished, very valued, very able. Um, and a number of teachers acknowledged or, or, you know, said that they that I seemed very happy to be there. And I did. Um, primary school played to all of my strengths in music and drama and storytelling and everything like that and language. Um, and then secondary school, all of that disappears. And suddenly it's lack of focus and misinterpreted the question poor time management, didn't finish the exam. You know, I'm I'm kind of unraveling at that point and things are um, not looking so positive. And it's just, I suppose, so many things that I looked at in isolation that now in the context of autism makes total sense and, you know, attention difficulties. Um, it, it makes sense now when you put them all together that it's not actually you know, one teacher didn't like me or one teacher thought that I was looking out the window because I had no interest in the subject. It's actually, there's a consistency across all of these reports and it's that autism was there. 
there were positive remarks too in the reports. Oh yeah, I was polite. I was um, unbelievably polite. Uh, yeah, soft, very quiet, soft spoken, um, not a troublemaker. Didn't raise my voice, hardly raised my hand, you know, to to answer anything, anything like that. Um, so I just, I I was the classic invisible, I guess. You know, I was that that case of the the girl who just didn't stand out at all because she kind of made it that way. What is awfully sad about that, maybe if I may say so, as you say, I was good, I was polite, I was agreeable. Um, from from the lens of, from your own lens now as a teacher, you say what they actually were saying was, I still, I still haven't made sense of your child, uh, but at least they don't cause trouble. Um, so in, in terms of how you were underneath the surface, mm-hmm. you were a maelstrom. You had this lovely, agreeable, quiet outward demeanour mm-hmm. but inside you were in awful trouble. Absolutely yeah um, and looking back on certainly the first four years of secondary school I found the transition from primary to secondary really really difficult um, because again primary school had become such a bubble for me it was a safe place it was a place where you know my strengths were celebrated and championed and then all of that just dissolved when it came to secondary school and it took me it it took me really about four years to adjust to that and to adjust to new circles of friends and you know friends who I had grown up with moving on to new circles and it just took me a long time to figure out how to navigate it and it was a very lonely time and a very just in myself a very sad time I think um, I had gone from somebody who knew what she was good at and knew what she loved to just feeling completely lost and like I was fading away myself. You dieted fairly obsessively. Yeah. Which is probably fairly textbook as well, is it? It is actually. um, And that's something that never really made sense to me until um, the word autism came onto my radar. Um, And actually it's, it's a very common secondary condition for women to go through. And it's... It's interesting because I knew for me it was never body image related. You know, I've I've always been naturally lean. It's not a matter of I needed to lose weight or anything like that. That was never an issue. Um, but I suppose it was kind of, it was me reaching for something, latching on to something that would give me a sense of control. Um, and this idea that if I could just control this part of my life, it would give me a sense of being anchored. It would give me a sense of being grounded when everything else felt out of my control. And you were seeing doctors all this time, mm-hmm. Maeve, yeah. and they, one of them diagnosed depression. <coughs> yeah, and that was something else that just made no sense to me at the time and was laughable. Um, I think, and this was maybe, I suppose, around going on 10 years ago, but even though we've come a very long way in conversations around mental health, it just hadn't quite kicked off at that point. And it still seemed a completely alien term to me. It sounded like something that applied to someone in a completely opposite situation um, to to me in my life. Um, But yeah, there were lots of just just niggling things at me all the time, whether it was my tonsils or ulcers or styes, just a constant feeling of being run down in some physical sense or another um, and not realising that it was probably a manifestation of emotional difficulties that I was having that I didn't know how to address. And yet on the surface, you seemed 
sort of quote unquote normal. You had a boyfriend, you had yeah. friends. It wasn't like you were left sitting in a corner on your own and were sort of regarded as a strange one by people. No, absolutely. You were and putting had, on a fantastic act. I had worked so hard. It was, you know, my greatest achievement almost to have uh, achieved that level of social success, to have managed to do all of the things that a teenager my age was supposed to have done. You know, I, I thrived for it and I fought for it and it happened. Um, but it never really felt like an organic thing. It felt like I really had to work to make these things happen. If you had been allowed to express yourself as the person you really were Mm -hmm. with that condition, Maeve, what would have been your other route? How would you have been behaving if if you'd been allowed to be yourself? Um, I suppose I would have allowed myself to to be more overt in expressing any kind of emotion. Everything was, you know, tightly packaged within myself. Um, Very, I was very guarded, very private and very intensely so. And I just didn't know how to let any of that out. And it meant that I was kind of floundering and, you know, drowning in my own head. Um, It just, I suppose it would have given me a sense of relief to be able to, um, express it in any kind of a way but I just felt that that wasn't possible I didn't know how and I'd gone so long not doing it that the skills to to even make a start just weren't there um, I didn't know how to a- approach someone and you know get into a conversation where I was talking openly and sharing feelings it's it's still something that I I struggle with you know I think e- even now knowing everything it still takes a lot of work to tease things out of me. Um, and it's I'm I'm conscious of it. And I, I do try to, you know, I, I make the effort to, to try more with it. But it it's not something that comes naturally to me. Um, it's always been sort of a, a lone thing. And sharing is, is something that I'm still trying and to come around to. One of the big problems that you draw attention to is that 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 fantastic ability to camouflage symptoms appears to be a primary reason why girls and women slip through the diagnostic net for ASD. Absolutely. They're just so good at covering up. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think that's what we have in common more than anything else. And, you know, I wouldn't have known that I was even doing that until I read about it. I'd, I wouldn't have known that my experience was different to, to everyone else. I mean, to an extent, we all do it. We perform our ways through the days um, just to to make things easier. And sometimes it comes naturally and sometimes it takes more of an effort. But for me, I guess it it was always more of an effort. Um, And that seems to be something that many, many women um, who have since received diagnosis of autism have in common, um, that ability to just consciously observe social activity, watch body language, mimic it, um, I suppose, hoard little phrases that make navigating conversation easier um, and it's learning to perform, I guess. And in the meantime, you certainly were. I mean, you you, you are you are teaching now. You're mm-hmm. still only 26. Yeah, 27. 27. Yeah. Um, and you're teaching. So clearly you managed to maintain this fantastic exterior mm-hmm. for many years before you were diagnosed. How did that go? So you left secondary school. Mm -hmm. Did you feel damaged when you left? Did you feel a bit more in tune with yourself? 
No, I felt probably less in tune than than ever at that point. Um, I went on to college and I did struggle towards um, my final year. I was able to, at that point, uh, receive help for the first time. Um, I saw a counsellor on campus and that helped me hugely. It helped me hugely in um, organising myself in terms of assignments that were due and exams. And for the first time, it just the burden was off me to to manage these things, things that were always hard for me to manage. Um, and it it started, I suppose, coming into place after that. Um, and I continued on in education and then various internships and jobs followed. And um, I'm teaching now. Yeah. And uh, it's it's going really well. And I think probably better than ever because I have such a sense of what my strengths are and what my limitations are and you know for the first time there's there's real perspective there. You're teaching at primary level? Yeah. I would think you're a fantastic asset. Yeah I well I'm it's actually it's interesting um of the things that autistic women are supposedly good at or possibly better at is uh primary education and any kind of caring profession. Um, So a lot would work in psychology or uh, work with the elderly, work with children. So it's it's interesting that I kind of gravitated towards that and that it happens to to be something that a lot of autistic women have in in common. And that also counters a lot of the stereotyping around autism, because that suggests you have empathy, that you... Hugely uh, so. Yes. So tell us about that, because the impression we have from Sheldon and his ilk is that there is, it's almost emotionless. Totally. And that's, I think, one of the most prevailing stereotypes in existence with regard to autism. And it's the most, one of the most unfortunate, I think, and one of the most damaging, because... Um, many, many autistic people, whether male or female, although possibly particularly female, um, would say that it's, it's not even a lack of empathy. It's actually empathy in excess. It's, it's too much. It's having so much of it that you don't actually know how to process it and you, you don't know how to express it. Um, so if you walk into a room and you can sense tension, you'll leave that room feeling tense. You carry it with you. It's, it's that, um, intense. So yeah, for for the lingering stereotype to be that there's none is just, it's so wrong. It's it's just, yeah. <laughs> and to ask you another about another stereotype, you know, yeah. where um, one stereotype is emotionless, the other is that you're absolutely brilliant at mathematics or something. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> no, my weakest subject, that was another thing consistent in all of the reports from, you know, junior and friends up <laughs> pretty much. Um, that maths is, yeah, it's, again, this idea of the very extreme um, male brain and this idea that it's very black and white and very mathematical and very scientific. And again, this feeds into the idea that it's everything except for social, everything except for empathy and people and that side of things. Um, but again, it's it's just not a given that if you're autistic, you are good at these things. It's sometimes the case that you might be the opposite, that you might be dyscalculic, which is the numerical version of dyslexia, like it can be that extreme. So it's it's just another. And did you have any of those? Um, When I say you were weak at mathematics, but were you absolutely so weak that people sort of just said, oh, my God, that's hopeless? Um, Yeah, I would have been definitely. Um, And I suppose it was less 
on the page maths. It was more maths in in the real world. So spatial awareness and kind of reasoning skills, problem solving. They would always have been um, my weaker areas. And uh, that sort of manifested itself in poor time management and inability to kind of, you know, read bus schedules, those sort of day-to-day things um, I've always found difficult um, and it takes sort of an, an extra effort to, to plan for things and to, to make sure that I haven't skipped a few steps, that I haven't missed something. Um, so that's a side of my brain that's definitely very weak um, and anything that involves kind of executive functioning skills um so that those areas have always been um lacking i suppose i've i've always found challenges there and maybe i know plenty of young women including some very close to me who aren't great at time management yeah <laughs> or and who, who, one of whom suggests that she does suffer from dyscalculia um <laughs> which i don't believe she does but anyway yeah. um which of those is most directly connected with autism because all of these things, you know, they, for example, the obsessive dieting, yeah. the the um, the weakness in mathematics, all of them could be attributed to almost anyone we meet on the Absolutely, street. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you discovered when you discovered your diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, what suddenly made sense to you in all of those things? What was it? Was it was it a, was it an accumulation of all those things, or was it separate things? Um, it was. Yeah, I suppose it was an accumulation of different things. Um, I think quite often with autism, there is often secondary condition or uh, conditions such as OCD or ADD, ADHD. Um, so it's really not uncommon to have one and the other. And for me, I was just finding patterns across the board, really, with that that added up to a couple of different things. So when I received my diagnosis for autism, I also received one for attention deficit disorder. Right. One of the things you, 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 you've said, Maeve, is you, you quote the, the um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, uh, where she argues the danger of a single story, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating about so many things in our lives now, um, saying, you, saying that it creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. Yeah. So your story, you believe, adds to the sum of knowledge about autism. But Absolutely. we still don't have the complete story by any means. No, not at all. Um, I think, but, you know, the, the way that things are moving and the more women that are coming forward with stories, the the more we're shaping um, or reshaping our idea of autism and the more we're broadening our own minds on what it means to be autistic and the ways in which a person can be autistic. And we're learning that it doesn't necessarily look a certain way. It doesn't sound a certain way um, that that anyone could be autistic, that you just wouldn't know it from their exterior or from the performance that they put on for the world, that it's a very internal thing um, and therefore very hard to uh, to spot, I suppose. Um, but it's learning to be open to the fact that it is sometimes not how you imagine it to be and that just because you picture it a certain way doesn't mean that, you know, you've got a complete understanding of it. Um, So I think we need to sort of wean ourselves off the the stereotypes and to start engaging with the the community themselves and and listening and getting a better sense of, of stories and experiences that might challenge our previous understanding of autism. Have you have you seen anyone in a movie or a TV series or anything, a, a female person in any of those that matches what you believe to be 
loads. I just find that they're often very underdeveloped characters. I find that they're usually there for kind of comic relief or, you know, being the butt of the joke. So um, often kind of secondary characters in stories. Um, Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter would be one who I would strongly. Um, I've been compared to her in <laughs> by a few people. Um then this would have been before I knew anything or thought anything uh, with regards to autism. So that would be one. Um, and then characters who, I guess, are kind of just, yeah, laughed at or uh, not really understood. Uh, somebody like a, a Mary Bennett in Pride and Prejudice. Obviously, everyone wants to be the Lizzie or the Jane, but Mary's there in the background and she's kind of floundering socially and she's saying the wrong thing and she's given a hard time over it. But I would identify more with her than I would with the the leading ladies of that story. Um, and then a more recent one that I noticed, um, and I'm it, this is, again, just I would identify with it. Um, if you watched Dairy Girls, the, the cousin, Orla, um, she struck me as being very, very autistic. But again, not a very developed character and kind of only there to be laughed at. Mm. I think if if the writers delved more into that story, you'd see that there's more than the kind of quirky front or the, the girl who is unfiltered and says bizarre things and looks like she's in space all the time. You know, there there's more to her than that. She's um, a fascinating character because she's, yeah. she's, she blurts things out. Exactly. It's usually the truth. Yeah. And she's clearly very bright. That's kind of an... Autistic Girl summed up, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't seen The Shape of Water, Maeve, have you? I have, and that was actually another one that occurred yes. to me as well. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> that, 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 that character, I forget her name now, but, but she was a most fascinating study. Uh-huh. And on some kind of spectrum, I thought. So you, so you obviously recognised something in her. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And then I suppose the fact that she's a mute I, I thought, well, okay, that's that's her thing. She's well, she could be both, but she I, could. Yeah. She <laughs> I definitely, could. I definitely recognised um, some traits in her as well. So, Maeve, what would you what would you say to young women who are listening to you now, if they think this isn't just an adolescent thing? I'm not going through some weird obsessive dieting phase as they expect a lot mm-hmm. of young girls to do. I do feel socially awkward. I do blurt things out. What should she do now? Um. I suppose just open your mind to the fact that it could be something more. It's not necessarily social anxiety that might be part of it, but there might be something more at the root of it and um, look into it. There's a huge amount available online. Books are being written all the time. I've come across um, several YouTube channels, blogs, uh, podcasts, all um, all being run and put together by autistic women sharing their own experiences. There's a wealth of information out there if you just know to look for it. So if you do have a sense, if if any of this relates to you in any way, um, even even just a shred of it, um, don't be afraid to to tease it out of it, to, to look into it and to be open to the fact that it might be something more because even though it kind of knocked me back hearing the word autism for the first time, time in the context of me ultimately it's it's just provided so much clarity and relief and you know it's brought areas of my life into focus for the first time it's armed me with a vocabulary with which to articulate my experiences I never had that before Um, and it's ultimately been a very positive and life-changing thing even 
even though it is uncomfortable at times as well. And I think I'm not really, I couldn't possibly really be, but then, you know, it's, I am. (laughs) My final question, if those young women looking at the blogs and YouTube and all that sort of thing, if they presented to their GP tomorrow, what are the chances the GP would say, I'll send you off for assessment? Very slim. um, And that's another area that needs a lot of um, attention, you know, just at gatekeeper level, um, GPs and psychologists, uh, teachers, caretakers, the information and the understanding of how gender impacts on autism, it just isn't there yet and it's not strong enough. So the chances are that a person would be sent away or told that they suffer from anxiety or depression and that might be the result of the autism, but the autism itself will will likely not be addressed um, or acknowledged as a possibility, which is, um, again, why we find ourselves here as being labelled invisible and lost and missed and everything. So things really do need to change um, on that level too. Well, Maeve Quillon, you're making a big difference, let me tell you. Thank you so much for coming into the Women's Thank you Podcast. For me. So that was Maeve Nicolon. And I think well worth listening to again and again for anyone who feels that they're just not quite fitting in. And that's it for today. My thanks to Maeve for speaking to us for today's podcast. Just a reminder that World Autism Awareness Week is next week from March 26th until April 2nd. Today's podcast was produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, mind yourselves and thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.